Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. All right, guys. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsapornchai. Well, brother, it is good to see you again. Glad to see you've recovered a little bit from uh, the seasonal allergies there. Yeah, definitely feeling a lot better. Still a little bit um, nasally, but I, my nose was running like a drippy faucet. Sorry for the visual there. But uh, yeah, it was, um, it was bad, but it improved quite a bit from yesterday to today. And this happens once in a while, lasts like anywhere between one to three days. So just got to deal with it. It's been hot and windy. And uh, when the weather warms up, those allergies kick in. I know a lot of people listening will relate. I, I have been fortunate in never having to deal with allergies, but we're in a new place with new weeds and things like that. So you never know. Um, but even in those times are, are good times to reflect on our frailty as humans and uh, to kind of refocus our, our, our trust in God, even, you know, e- even in those times where we think we're kind of invincible and we're good in health, the, the seasonal things remind us that we're a little more frail than we'd like to think we are. Amen. Amen. And, and God cursed mankind. He cursed um, existence, um, all of creation uh, for that very reason to help us to see that we are not immortal and we have a purpose, which is to know him. Well, you know, brother, speaking of curses, uh, this kind of segues into our podcast today. Uh, one of the things that we face in a fallen world is doctrines of demons. Um, And we've got one of those today that we want to deal with, and that is critical race theory, Um, social justice, Marxism. These are all terms that we hear all the time for anyone who is on social media or whatnot. Um, So we want to kind of run through those things, uh, but let's define some of those terms for the average person sitting out there. They've heard these terms. They've seen them. Um, I, I've even seen a few people on Twitter in the last couple of days that are like, wow, some of these things are very new to me. Um, can you define some of those things? So maybe let's start with critical race theory. That sounds like a really big, complicated scientific thing. What is critical race theory? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, and just to give everyone a little bit of background, um, because there's a lot of people that will accuse others of not really understanding critical race theory. That's what's coming from the left. And just so that you know, I did not read any of the any of the first person sources, the original sources, Richard Delgado. I know people who have, but for my journey started um, at the start of 2019 when I was asked to give a presentation on critical, well, really on social justice. But I researched critical race theory, and I researched it um, not from people who are arguing against it, but for from people who were arguing for it, people who actually taught this in schools, people who had put together presentations and videos and whatnot. So a lot of what I learned wasn't from people who were against it, but people who were actually um, arguing the benefits of adopting critical race theory. So what is critical race theory? Um, the words can be, can be um, confusing. Um, they can be misleading um, because certainly we are proponents of critical thinking. We want people to become critical thinkers. What that means is that you are in the habit of actually analyzing and looking into what you hear to determine if these things are true. We want our kids to develop in critical thinking skills so that they can think for themselves. I'm sure every single parent at some point has told their children, I want you to be able to think for yourselves. And the only way you could do that is to develop your critical thinking skills. Well, 
we would think critical race theory then should be a good thing because it has the word critical in it. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Now to really understand critical race theory, and, and essentially th this is just a worldview of the world and people are divided into two different groups based upon the color of their skin. But I think to, to really understand this um, is to go back to its original kind of founder, if you will. And critical race theory was started in the 80s, I believe, um, but it goes back even further because it borrows from what we call Marxism. Yeah. Marxism was in the 1800s. That was under Karl Marx. And I'm not going to go into the details of it. It can get really complicated, but essentially it was an economic philosophy. It was a critique upon capitalist societies. Karl Marx was not a fan of capitalism. And certainly there were grievances with capitalism at that time that I can understand why it would lead people there. But he envisioned that um, capitalism basically is going to fall on its head, that, that it's going to collapse because it basically relies upon a system in which the rich take advantage of the poor all the time. And then mm -hmm. I'm putting it very simply, but it's essentially rich or poor or, or those who own businesses, those who are getting wealthy versus those who are actually doing the labor work. And so he divided all of people from capital societies into two groups. And to put it another more simple way, it's oppressor and oppressed. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And not only that, but the oppressors, because they're the rich, because they run these businesses, they also operate and run all the institutions in society. They, um, they're behind the media, they're behind our entertainment, the legal system, school systems, um, everything you can think of in society, they run all that for this purpose, that they help to indoctrinate the oppressed um, in a way that makes them think it's to their benefit to continue to do what they're doing so that the rich can keep getting richer. So that's basically Marxism in a nutshell. Um, did you have something to add to that, Nathaniel? Yeah, no, just to bring out a couple of those points that you made that, that are very, very important when people are considering the question, why is this so unbiblical? Why are guys like Vody Bauckham writing books? Um, you know, why are guys like Tom Askell and, um, you know, founders, you know, why is John MacArthur, why are so many of these guys saying it's so dangerous? And a couple of the points that you made, um, one is critical race theory and social justice is rooted in Marxism. You can't get away from that. So a lot of people will understand that Marxism is antithetical to the Christian worldview, uh, which leads me to the second point. Um, critical race theory, social justice is a worldview. Um, so you can't have a biblical worldview and have the worldview uh, that is propagated in CRT and social justice. Um, you know, and then the other thing is um, critical race theory, because it came from Marxism, demands that people are forced into collective groups. And you are guilty collectively of sins that you don't necessarily commit yourself, which is antithetical to the Christian faith and practice and how we understand sin. Um, so th those are just kind of three points that that you hit on there. Yeah, um, I, this is a big deal. And I don't think that it's going away anytime soon. And it, it, we actually see it spreading, wouldn't you say? I mean, we see it more and yeah. more. No, absolutely. And, and, um, and, and we're just at this point talking about Marxism. We haven't talked about how transition into critical race theory. But just to add on top of your point, Karl Marx himself, um, let, let me just read a couple of quotes from Karl Marx. He said, the first requisite of the happiness of the people is the abolition of religion. 
another quote from him, my object in life is to dethrone God and destroy capitalism. So we understand that from his worldview, he believed that religion and in particular Christianity was actually part of the problem, that the oppressors were coming from a Christian worldview. And so you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, the roots of this is very anti-biblical. And even when he was thinking about capitalist societies, even though there was truth in the fact that, yeah, there were, there were a lot of instances where people were being oppressed and that needed to be corrected. Um, he was also operating out of what, what I would call a zero-sum game. Now, what is a zero-sum game? A zero-sum game is the idea that if, Nathaniel, you make $2, you must have taken $2 from someone. Um, so in order for someone to profit, someone must lose out. Well, if anyone studies just basic economics in a bull market where the country is growing and becoming more and more productive and more prosperous, no, that's, it's not a zero-sum game. Um, people can, you, you can have entire groups of societies where theoretically everyone benefits um, just because there's greater production and, and um, greater things uh, being done within that society as they grow in, in various ways. So th there's a lot of problems, obviously, with the core doctrine. But here's what happened. So Karl Marx, he, he died in the late 1800s. He never got to see Marxism implemented. The first time Marxism was implemented was with Russia, the Russian Revolution in the early 1900s. And around that same time, we had a group of Marxist philosophers who were operating out of Frankfurt, Germany, the Institute of Social Research. They started their own school called the Frankfurt School. And uh, they, they were basically Marxists and they had other philosophies that they were influenced by and they were critiquing the various ways that Marxism was being used either correctly or incorrectly by the, by the, the, the Russians, um, what ended up becoming the USSR. But they were not there for that long before Adolf Hitler actually shut them down. And here's what's interesting. They, he shut them down, which would seem to imply that he didn't believe in that school. But Nathaniel, you actually mentioned something to me just before the podcast about Adolf Hitler. Do you want to share that? Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. We all understand that um, the, the Nazi regime had a very effective propaganda ministry. We understand it was extremely deceitful. Um, really just kind of vile. And it's interesting because Hitler makes the statement something to the effect of um, one of one of the most effective things of Marxism is their propaganda ministry. And so Hitler's propaganda ministry was actually developed by taking Marxist propaganda, how they um, how, how they move their propaganda and just kind of tweaking it and further developing it. So if you want to look at how deadly Marxist propaganda is, you can actually look at the Nazi regime because that part of the regime um, was built on Marxist ideology. Yeah, and what's, what's good to add on top of that, that's a, that's a great point. Something that we haven't mentioned explicitly also is the, the notion of what truth means um, yeah. in a Marxist society. So Marxism, when they view capitalism, they believe that basically truth is controlled by all the institutions. Because you have this oppressor class that controls all the, they, they control the media, they control the legal system, education, entertainment, basically everything that a person would cons consume in society, they're essentially being indoctrinated, not with truth, but what would be called um, socially constructed truths. So right. in other words, the society is being fed truths that are not objectively true, but they're being indoctrinated to believe that those things are true. That's what they say a capitalist society operates under. And so when these philosophers in Germany, they got shut down in 19, somewhere in the early 1930s. And then they ended up going to Geneva 
And then by 1935, I believe, they actually end up at Columbia University. They're invited to become part of the staff there. And then it's in 1937 that a man by the name of Max Horkheimer, he writes, um, he writes a, basically his, his thesis, a work that introduces this idea of critical theory. And in this writing of critical theory, he basically took these principles from Marxism, which were primarily economic, and now he reapplies them to culture. So instead of the rich and the poor, now you have oppressor and oppressed groups in a cultural sense. And so he, he also brought forward these notions of socially constructed truths, that the mm -hmm. truths that we have grown up with are all socially constructed. There is no objective truth. Again, that includes religion and Christianity. And we yeah. as Christians, we understand that the Bible is objective truth. So he's coming with this idea that truths are socially constructed. And the way to find truth, and this is very, very important, in a Marxist view with critical theorists, the way that you find truth is not through the institutions. It's by going to the oppressed and hearing their stories. Yeah. It's through yeah. their stories and through their experiences that you learn truth. And, and so we, we see th these are the core foundations. We, we talked about the, the, the two groups, oppressed and oppressor. We talked about this false view of truth um, that they say is socially constructed. And all these theories that they're putting out there, they're actually indoctrinating you to believe it. And if you see proof that proves otherwise, they'll say, no, those proofs are socially yeah. constructed truths meant to attack what we're presenting. I mean, by the way, just on the surface, the fact that we're talking about a theory ought to lend itself to being subjective in its whole, right? But like, you talk about critical theory in the Frankfurt School. And so when people hear the Frankfurt School, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about a group of, of German philosophers. Um, but let me, let me just actually read the three primary thesis of critical theory, because this is from kind of their own mouth, so to speak, right? Yep. So that folks can see we're not making this up just to be critical of uh, you know, excuse the pun there. Um, but here, here are the three theses, and let me just read them, and then we can kind of dialogue through them because we'll touch on all of these. This is the the foundation of critical theory, which cannot be separated from the ways and beliefs of Karl Marx and the Marxist system. I mean, remember Karl Marx in uh, just around the mid 1800s is the one who, in a passing comment, said religion is the opium of the people. Right. Or we've we the opium of the masses. I think he actually said the opium of the people. But so his view of uh, religion was destructive. Um, you know, he he hated God and he hated religion and nothing that has come out of that has ever been separated that. So that's important for us to remember. But here are those thesis statements. So, number one, they have listed critical theories have special standing as guides for human action in that a they are aimed at producing enlightenment in the agents who hold them. That's a big statement. You probably heard the phrase uh, ethnic Gnosticism that Vody Bauckham has coined. This is where he gets that from. All right. So, A, it, it produces enlightenment only in the agents who hold these ideals. Okay. B, they are inherently emancipatory. They, are, uh, they free agents from any kind of coercion, which is at least partly self-imposed from self frustration and conscious human action. We'll kind of flesh that out in a little bit. Number two, critical theories have cognitive content. They are forms of knowledge. 
And number three, critical theories differ epistemologically. It's a big word, but we'll talk about that in essential ways from theories in natural sciences. Theories in natural sciences are objective. Critical theories are reflective. Mm. Yeah, and that's that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting statement on critical theory and those tenets. You know, and, and when we talk about critical theory, we have mentioned the oppressor and the oppressed groups. And you can see already just from the descriptions that critical theory or Marxism, they are looking out for the oppressed. They're looking out for those who are part of these oppressed groups. So what does critical theory have to do with critical race theory? Well, when you talk about the oppressed and the oppressors, who are those oppressed and who are those oppressors? Well, what we're dealing with right now is critical race theory. So now we're dealing with basically the idea that there is an oppressive race and there are oppressed races. And in this case, we're talking about white people. So white people are portrayed as being the oppressors. And that means, according to everything that we've just said, they control all the institutions, the universities, the entertainment, um, the news, the education, all those things that have indoctrinated our society to believe in what holds up the capitalist societies, that, uh, that the uh, oppressors um, allow the oppressors to continue flourishing. So that's, that's what we're looking at. And let me read this quote. And this came from my own alma mater. I actually attended UCLA. I looked on their website when I did this research over two years ago. I ran across, across this quote. It's been requoted many times, including Vody Bakum. He quotes this, um, at least partially, in his uh, new book, Fault Lines. But critical race theory was developed out of legal scholarship. It provides a critical analysis of race and racism from a legal point of view. CRT, that stands for critical race theory, CRT recognizes that racism is ingrained in the fabric and system of American society. And, and this is very important, this next statement. The individual racist need not exist to note that institutional racism is pervasive in the dominant culture. Let me read that again. The individual racist need not exist to note that institutional racism is pervasive in the dominant culture. What this statement is saying, and there's so much more here, what this statement is saying is that you don't even need to have individual racists in society. You could theoretically have a society of people that have no racist intent, and yeah. yet you still have racism specifically because of the structures. And so when people today argue that systemic racism exists and you ask them for proof, and they point to individual acts of racism. I've said this before, individual acts of racism do not prove systemic racism. That's you're misunderstanding those, those concepts. And let me go on. This is the analytical lens that CRT uses in examining existing power structures. And by the way, power is a real big deal when it comes to critical theory. CRT identifies that these power structures are based on white privilege and white supremacy, which perpetuates the marginalization of people of color. CRT also rejects the traditions of liberalism and meritocracy. So liberalism, we're not talking about the kind of progressivism that we see on the left. Liberalism is really from philosopher John Locke and it's this idea that man has the natural right to life, liberty and property, those kinds of things. And meritocracy is this idea that you work hard and you earn, you're, you're gonna be more prosperous the harder you work. So yeah. CRT actually rejects both liberalism and meritocracy. Legal discourse says that the law is neutral and colorblind. However, CRT challenges this legal truth by examining liberalism and meritocracy as a vehicle for self-interest, power, 
and privilege. So in other words, and again, this is right from the UCLA website. This is an institution, my own alma mater, who firmly supports critical race mm. theory. They're saying that the idea of liberalism, this idea that man, uh, man is entitled to life, liberty, and property, as well as the idea that you, you earn based upon your hard work, um, that, that you'll prosper based upon hard work, saying that those are vehicles of oppression. So what do you think? Yeah, I mean, so if anyone out there is wondering why it looks like these guys are destroying America, you have it right there because fundamentally they're against the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness um, as 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 a liberty, as a as a freedom. It, you know, Robin D'Angelo makes very similar statements, and that's where she got that from. Um, she makes the statement, "quote I am referring to the white collective." Right. In terms of racism. Well, you know, newsflash, we aren't the Borg. Um, we're individuals. And so, brother, let's just kind of segue and, and start really kind of making some connections as to why believers should be rejecting this kind of thing. And we'll go on and identify some other terminology, some other terms that we hear a lot that maybe uh, we don't get the definitions to all the time. But for the believer, what we're saying is, um, you know, we are supposed to be informed by our biblical worldview. And so when these things come up, we've got to ask the question, what does scripture say? Right? We, we don't care what the television says. It doesn't matter what the news tells us. It doesn't matter what the liberal left tells us or the conservative right, for that matter. Um, the question we ought to be asking is, what is truth? What does God say about sin, about racism, about um, you know, about these things. And then let's filter what we believe, what we adopt as analytical tools, helpful things to use based on God's word. And when you, when you go to the word of God, well, I think we're going to see some pretty shocking things. Um, and it, because the very foundations of this is built on the premise that um, there are groups of people and you're inherently guilty just because you're in that group. That right there is enough to destroy biblically this ideology. Let's just talk about that a, a little bit, brother. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And we would actually affirm that all of us were born into a sinful race. In fact, um, you mentioned race. What does the Bible teach us about race? Well, it teaches that there is only one race. This is one of the interesting phenomena of all this is that race is actually socially constructed. So what you see, even though people who are Marxists or critical theorists they have this concept of socially constructed truths. They're actually using that exact kind of ideology to actually push socially constructed truths to us. So they have this concept of race, which is based upon skin color. Well, biblically, there's only one race. That's a human race. There, there, is no, there is no references to different people based upon skin color. Now, there are divisions of people based upon ethnicities. But to suggest that one is inherently more sinful than the other is completely false. And we know that from Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, when Paul says, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good, not even one. And the context of that is found in verse 9, where he addresses, he makes clear that he is talking about both Jews and Greeks, and Greeks being synonymous mm. with Gentiles. So basically everyone is, is under yeah. this curse that no one is good. So the idea behind critical theory or Marxism or even critical race theory is that one group is much more sinful than the other, whereas the Bible says, no, we are all sinful. All of us are sinners. And it's not 
based upon our skin color. It's not based upon ethnicity. It's based on the fact that we're all in Adam and not in Christ. Yeah, that's a good point. And brother, you know, by the way, putting a whole group of people saying that you are all guilty of something just based on your skin color is in fact racist by, by, by the real definition, right? So yes. if I say all white people are evil because, because they're white, that's a racist statement. Um, and, and, and really bibli- in biblical language, we would say it's ethnic prejudice, right? Because we yeah. are one race. It, it's ironic. Um, it, but that part of the reason that they uh, not, not only do, if you read Robin DeAngelo's material, um, they combat this kind of thing by basically saying if you have any any objection, you know, if you stand up and say, well, I'm not racist. Well, one, you don't matter because you're in the oppressed group if you're white. Now, actually, brother, I don't know. What group do they put you in? <laughs> it just, well, does it just a, depend? Yeah, that, that's uh, a really interesting question because a lot of this and a lot of the grievances, a lot of the oppression is argued from statistics. It's argued from the difference, for instance, in the average um, income per household Mm -hmm. based upon the race of the individual. And they will note that black and brown people earn far less than white people. And that is proof that whites are controlling all the institutions. That is proof of white privilege and white supremacy and all that. Well, the problem is this, is that white people don't even earn the most money of any group in this country. Asians do. Right. So Asians are at the very top. And if anything, Asians, in terms of education, there is actually real systemic uh, racism against Asians. Uh, and what do I say that? Because for instance, the Ivy League schools will only hire a certain percentage or I shouldn't say hire, they will only accept a certain percentage of Asians. And there have even been some stories where an Asian has, you know, he's more qualified than anyone else, but they come up, they fabricate their own reasons for not admitting um, that yeah. Asian. So when we look at the storyline, it doesn't make sense when it comes to Asians. How is it then that Asians are succeeding in a society dominated by white privilege and white supremacy? Well, their answer to that over the last couple of years has really, over the last year, I would say, a big push over the last several months is really to categorize Asians with white people. So now Asians are a part of the grouping, which makes absolutely no sense. And we've seen things published by people like uh, Jamar Tisby. I remember he had this pyramid where he's, he included all these different concepts like logic, for instance, yeah, um, logic yeah. and meritocracy as being values of white supremacy. Okay, wait a second, because I'll tell you this, that the Asian culture has a much stronger sense of meritocracy than even the average white household. Yeah, and yeah. any of you who have grown up with Asians in schools, you know that. Yep. You, you've seen that for the most part, and this is not true across the board, but for the most part, Asians have a very hard work ethic because their parents demand a whole lot from them in school. And yeah. so to say that meritocracy is a product of white privilege is actually racist against Asians who work hard. Because yeah. now you're suggesting that we as Asians needed white people to be able to show us meritocracy in order to succeed. Totally, totally racist. Yeah. And not only that, it's defying that which God said was good, right? We're supposed to work um, and yes. be diligent at our work. And, but not only that, we actually should be working hard as unto the Lord. So yes. if you take that out, you're actually defying the living God and his plan for us um, just in our work ethic. And so basically it promotes laziness, which is anti-biblical. And you find a lot of these ironies in here, but it's it's like everything else. You know, if you look in, um, if, if you go to other sects, right, uh, you'll find teachings that twist and manipulate scripture. This is no different. 
Um, and, and you find this all through. I just want to go to Ezekiel real, real quick, because a, a lot of this, you have the oppressor and the, uh, and the oppressed. And if you're in the oppressor class, so basically in our country, if you are a, you know, white cisgender male, you are the most oppressive person that exists all because by the way, of your skin color. Um, and I just want to tell you, I'm a melanated brother too. Because I have melanin. Um, so it's foolish to even have the argument to start with. But um, but let me just go to Ezekiel, right? So the word of God says, uh, yet you say, why should the son not bear the punishment of the father's iniquity? When the son has practiced justice and righteousness and has observed all my statues and done them, he shall surely live. The person who sins will die. Not the group who sins, not the collective um, you know, the, the, the sons aren't responsible for the sins of the fathers and vice versa. And so this automatically rips out how God views sin and how we're responsible for sin. Um, it, it tears that entire structure down. In fact, it eliminates the possibility of repentance because, because I'm white, I actually cannot ever repent for an individual sin, because critical race theory says your individual sin doesn't matter because you're in this collective group, you're sinning. And, and so I am never allowed forgiveness or repentance. Um, and in most cases, for most people, there's nothing to even repent of. Um, I, I want to share a, a, a story with you, brother. I, I don't talk about it much. In fact, I'm not sure if I ever have shared this publicly or not. Um, it it, it's just my own personal growing up story, but I want to share it because this movement makes so much of turning an individual subjective reality into an absolute truth for the whole that, it, you know, and sometimes I think, uh, and, and just to be bland, I think white guys are often scared to speak up against it because they're going to be accused of being racist. Well, I'm not one of those white guys, so um, I'll share my story. Um, it just listen to the irony in this for me. I grew up in a poor family in an almost entirely black neighborhood that was gang ridden, you know, gang ridden, gang infested. I never got involved in any of that, but my schooling um, in uh, preschool, elementary school, and the start of middle school, I was the only white kid in school. There, there were three white kids in the entire school. Right. So I never I was never around more than just a couple white kids my whole life growing up at the beginning. And uh, by the time I got into middle school, I had been jumped by a gang. Um, and in fact, they told the police officers that they jumped me because I was white. Right. So pure racism. Um, some of them ended up in juvenile jail. From that, they did some damage to uh, to my eye. And I, this is sixth grade, right? So I grew up in an area where I was the only white kid in all of my classes. I, I actually never had another person who had the same skin color as me in class up to sixth grade. Um, and from sixth grade, we moved and that changed. Um, and part of it was because it was so dangerous. So I grew up actually knowing real racism. And guess what? It was all racism from people with dark skin towards me because I had white skin. Um, but you know what? My best friends were still black people. Um, yeah. Right. I never internalized that and attributed it to everyone that had dark skin. 
that there was never a time where I thought, um, oh, you know what? The, the, these few people who hate me because of my skin color, maybe maybe just every black person's racist. That never occurred to me. Um, it was never a thought. And in fact, I, you know, I've, I've been working on the African continent since 2006. Never had that thought. I'm so I'm quite, quite happy to say I'm not a racist at all in any way, shape or form. Um, but this propaganda has and, and Robin D'Angelo tries to make it to where no one can say what I just said, because, again, right. well, my individual spirit experience doesn't matter. And here's the hypocrisy in that. If you're dark skinned, right? So I say dark skinned because I think they include Latinos in this, uh, in, in, in the oppressed group too, right? Um, if you're dark skinned, your lived experience translates into an absolute truth. But if you're not dark skinned, they'll say your lived experience makes no difference. I mean, that's a yeah, double that's, standard. Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, that, that's absolutely right. And when we talk about um, really the oppressed and oppressor groups, um, right now, we've been focusing on race, and it doesn't, it's not limited to race either. So while we have critical race theory, we also have f- critical feminist theory. Where, yeah. And we've seen this a lot over the past year where you know, we have to believe the, the, the woman, whatever she says. And you can't believe the man because he's a man. And then there's critical queer theory or qu- critical gay theory. And so now you also have the LGBTQ saying that those who are straight have oppressed those of the LGBTQ communities. And then when you get people that match multiple one of these categories, now you have what's called intersectionality, that a person meets more than one of these kinds of requirements. But you're absolutely right. I think what we're observing today is actually more um, racism, but going in the direction opposite of what they are saying is happening. You know, when uh, Vody Bauckham in his book did a lot of studies, he provides a lot of statistics about violence against white people and violence against black people from police officers. And the statistics actually tell an opposite story. Yeah. I mean, for instance, you, you and you can look up the statistics, less than 1%. You have a less than 1% chance of being shot by a police officer if, if you're black. Um, and, and statistics, you know, they matter. We should take note of them. But, you know, the whole point of me sharing my story was just to say that, you know, there were individuals who sinned against me. Um, but that's it. They, they were just individuals. And so does racism exist? Does genuine ethnic prejudice exist? Absolutely, it does. And I don't personally know a senior, uh, a single pastor or a believer who wouldn't confront that if they saw it, you know, personally. Um, and but to attribute the sin of one or a few to everyone based on their skin color, you know, it. Again, it's just it's it's antithetical to everything the Christian believes about sinfulness, about mankind, about redemption, about salvation. Um, Critical race theory destroys the work of the cross. It's that serious. Right. It says that um, the the work of reconciliation at the cross was not enough. Um, And and I think. You know, you mentioned this earlier. You talked about the Jews and Gentiles. Well, at one time, um, God separated mankind, and it was the most real separation you can ever get, right? God's chosen people and everybody else. And yet at the cross, that's totally done away with. He says, no more Jew, and there's no more Gentile, no male, female. Um, in the body of Christ in terms of salvation. And so if the most real division 
that's ever occurred in humanity, the one that God himself created, is abolished and reconciled at the cross, then there is nothing, certainly nothing like just the amount of melanin that you have in your skin um, that, that the cross can't right, reconcile. And the idea that it's not enough, um, really, it, it undoes the work of the cross, which is a serious thing. Yeah, to that point, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 to 22, it describes the, really the, um, the animosity that existed, that, that wall that existed between Jew and Gentile. And that was the most significant animosity that existed in the history of mankind, um, partially because it was based upon God's law and how he called a people to himself. He abolished that wall. That was the most significant barrier between peoples ever. And if he abolished that wall, then everyone who is in Christ, yeah. to your point, you were quoting Galatians uh, 3, 28, mm -hmm. that all of us are, are one in Christ. We yeah. are all the same in Christ. And we see repeated over and over again in the book of Hebrews. And Peter says this, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died. He offered up one sacrifice for all time. One sacrifice that paid for all sins, past, present, and future. Yeah. And so when you say that a lot of critical theorists today deny that, they won't deny it explicitly. They won't say explicitly that the work of Christ wasn't enough. But by saying that you must do this and this and this, you need to get, give reparations and all that. And by the way, if you're part of that oppressor group, the only way you can find any kind of atonement is to fight for the oppressed. And in the, race, in the race world, this is called becoming an anti-racist. That was a term, I believe, coined by Ibram Kendi. Um, yeah. So you become an anti-racist, but your work is not done. You have to continue being an evangelist for the oppressed, for those people of color, to educate other people yeah. of white supremacy and white privilege in the way they need to get around that. So by pushing that, they are in essence saying that this is what's needed for reconciliation. Yeah. The reconciliation that we see in the Bible brought to us by Jesus Christ on the cross was not enough. What's so a works-based salvation, right? Right. It, yeah, it's never enough. Right. You, you have to convert from wrecking. You have to go from recognizing that you're inherently a racist to now you have to work for our cause in permanence. I mean, that right. is a works-based salvation. Yeah, um, there is no once-for-all sacrifice and not only that, but if you're a part of the oppressed group, there is actually no message there that says you need to repent of anything. Yeah, yeah. It's all done to you. You have no personal responsibility for anything. Um, yeah, and, and so I mean, when you dig down into all of these little aspects, rather than um, and, and compare them to Scripture, you see not just a hole here and there. I mean, it, it's a page full of bullet holes. Right. It, it, it would look like a World War II redacted uh, letter that got sent over overseas or something. Um, I mean, there's just holes all in this thing. And so that's why there's so, so many uh, people that are encouraging those in the body of Christ to say, look, this is not something we can adopt. This is not an analytical tool. It is a worldview. And you have to decide. Right. Um either to embrace this or to embrace the things of Christ because they're in no way compatible. And I think a lot of people have embraced social things like social justice and critical race theory, well-meaning, well-intended, um, just not really understanding why it's not biblical. Uh, and one of the reasons is just simply the terminology that's used, social justice. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Christians are about justice, right? We're told to do justice and to be righteous, the problem is that that's not what they mean when they say social justice. 
Yeah, there's this concept of equity versus equality, and it's been, been discussed on Twitter over the last few days. Daryl Harrison just had a post on that, um, I believe, this morning. Um, but what they're after is equity of outcome. You know, they want everyone to be equal in outcome, not necessarily just equal in the opportunities given. Well, what's happening here, in order to achieve equality in outcome, to achieve this equity that they're after, you have to identify different groups and then apply, apply the law differently to each one of those groups, depending upon where they're at. That is not justice. Biblical justice is equal application of the law to everyone, yeah. no matter who you are. But what they are saying is that we are going to apply this law differently to black people compared yeah. to white people. And we just saw, I think on the news, there was a hospital, I think up in the Northeast area somewhere, there was a hospital that um, was is now... Um, saying that they're going to give preferential treatment to people of color over white people in order to help imbalance uh, or to rebalance this imbalance. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's racism. That's, that's injustice in God's eyes. A kid gets a perfect 1600 on the SAT. He um, does better than the majority of people applying for these Ivy League schools. And then he's kept out. Why? Because he's Asian and they already have enough Asians. Well, that's an unequal standard given yeah. to that Asian kid compared to everyone else. Yeah, and so specifically actually, the sin of partiality. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. And when we talk about racism, that really is the issue. Yeah, Racism never shows up in the Bible. This is a combination of what I would say partiality, pride, and hatred. Yeah. And in fact, yeah. James Cone, who is the originator, he's the founder of Black Liberation Theology, he talks about the definition of racism. He actually misunderstands the definition given by Webster's Dictionary, saying that racism um, mandates the use of power so that in that case, because Blacks have no power, they're not guilty of racism. That was basically his argument. But he, in that same statement, he said that, yes, Blacks are guilty of hatred against whites, but they are not racist. Well, forget the term racism. You just said Blacks are guilty of hatred. Hatred is a sin. Hatred yeah. is prejudice. It, it is pride. It is um, partiality, uh, what, what have you. Um, it is hatred towards others, and that itself is a sin. Yeah, absolutely, brother. And so we see um, that these things, they, they inherently give a wrong view of man, right? They, they pit some men against other men, lump them all together. Uh, and if you're in one group, you're, you're basically um, a free agent without any responsibility. If you're, if you're in the other group, um, if one man sins, then you're guilty of that, no matter who you are. And so, I mean, we think about, you know, you mentioned Romans earlier, right? Paul makes it clear that both Jews and Gentiles um, are all under sin. And so if, if that division um, is brought together and we're inherently sinful, then certainly skin color, it would be no different. But also has just a wrong view of sin itself, right? We've been talking about this. This is the problem, um, the oppressor and the oppressed class. Well, I mean, just talk to us about justification by faith. Um, how how does that play or how is that made null and void in this system? Yeah, justification by faith. Um, to be justified means you are declared righteous by God. It is a declaration by God as the great and high judge, the final judge, that you are indeed innocent and righteous. Well, justification by faith teaches us that we put our faith into Jesus Christ and we achieve the righteousness of God. Second Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we may become the righteousness of God in Christ. There was a divine transfer, a two-way transfer that we often call w, double imputation. We, Christ takes from us our sin. We take on his righteousness. That's what God sees. Well, critical race theory doesn't see that. 
So critical race theory, it doesn't matter what you have confessed, you are still guilty and reconciliation cannot be achieved unless you do all these other things that are actually not in the Bible. So they're essentially add-ons to what scripture says. Now, hear carefully, those of you who are listening, we are not saying racism doesn't exist, okay? We are not saying that systemic racism has never existed. It clearly has. You look at the history of US, Jim Crow laws, segregation, those are clear, clear examples of systemic racism. And there will, all, as well as racist, and when I say racist, I mean people who in their heart have um, bias, hatred, and pride from themselves towards another just based upon perhaps their skin color or their ethnicity. That will always exist until Christ returns. Yeah. And yeah. the real solution to that is to bring the gospel. You mentioned, we've been talking about Romans chapter three, verses 10 to 12. Recently, I presented the gospel to someone and I told that person that you are a sinner, um, you have disobeyed God's law and you need to be, you need to repent. Now, I did tell her that that's true for all of us, but she was completely, completely offended. She said, how dare you say that about me? Well, I can say that because I know it's true from scripture. We yeah. are all sinners. And I went on to explain that, that it's not because of anything specific to her, but the fact that she is part of the human race and all of us have turned aside, turned away from God, and all of us need to repent. One of the problems with critical race theory is that you don't, that's not the starting point. When we talk about a difference of worldviews, someone's going to come up to you, Nathaniel, and they're going to assume that you are already a sinner based upon your skin color, yeah. not based upon your confession in Christ, which is justification by faith. And so that's what gives people the, um, the I guess, the permission, you can say. They, yeah. It gives them the permission to actually read in false motives into people of white skin color. That's why you will see a lot of people that push critical race theory will automatically accuse white mm -hmm. people of being guilty if they deny yeah. this kind of narrative. And then they will read all kinds of motives as to why you're yeah. denying it. Look, the Bible says that's slander. If you say something about another person that is not true, even going to, especially from their intent, you are slandering that individual. But critical race theory makes it okay to slander those who either are white or yeah. people who are a person of color but they don't agree with the narrative. Yeah. And we see that happening to people like Daryl Harrison, yep. Virgil Walker, a lot of people of color, especially black people who yeah. disagree with this narrative. They're being called coons and uncle Tom's and all that. This is, this is yeah. how critical race theory gets into people. I'm not saying that everyone who supports it does this, Yeah. but this is exactly where it leads to when you take it to its logical conclusion. Yeah. And we mentioned before, and I think Vody does a good job in his book and I won't spoil it. So if you haven't gotten fault lines by Vody Bach, I might encourage you to do that. Uh, I know you've just finished it as well, brother, but um, there are a lot of, again, well-meaning people who have adopted this. And, and I'm going to say they've adopted this largely out of ignorance, you know, for, for the category I'm talking about here. Um, and I mean, this is, and this is something that while we want to point out where, where it's antithetical to biblical, teaching, um, why it goes against what we as Christians believe. And you just made a really big point. Um, critical race theory demands that you slander others. I, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's, right? that's, that's essentially because that's the starting, that's the starting worldview. In fact, let me pull up um, from Richard Delgado and uh, Vody Bauckham quotes this. And by the way, I know that Daryl Harrison, Virgil Walker, I've mentioned their names a few times. The Just Thinking podcast, everyone listening to us already knows about the Just Thinking podcast. Um, they had a three plus hour um, episode on critical race theory. It is magnificent. They really go into detail. If you're looking for 
all the original sources. If you're looking for quotes from people that actually push this themselves, um, I highly recommend you go find that. But one of the key tenets of CRT, and this is from Richard Delgado. He actually wrote uh, one of the um, one of the uh, key books on CRT that's uh, that's referenced as as one of the key sources. One of the first tenets is that racism is normal. The usual way society does business, the common everyday experience of most people of color in this country is through racism. So in other words, if you buy into CRT, you buy that as a starting mm -hmm. premise. See, as a Christian, we start with a worldview that all men are sinners. Yeah. CRT starts with the worldview that racism is the way everyone operates and that whites are the key oppressors um, in that scenario. So yeah, they, they start off, when you start off with that worldview, then you are free to go ahead and assume all kinds of wrong and evil motives in the other person, including those who are people of color, but they support the same position that white people have. They will call you enablers or people that are just simply trying to please white men. And by the way, this was, um, if you look at the MLK conference that happened back in 2019, I wanna say it was April of 2019. Yep. Matt Chandler, when he went up there and did his talk, yeah, he actually yeah. addressed the white pastors in the audience and said, find a person of color, but don't find someone who agrees with you because that person is probably just seeking power or privilege, yeah. which was a slanderous statement. And it, was a, and it was basically him saying that you should only listen to people that disagree with you. Don't listen to anyone who's of color, but has a different viewpoint than what it is we're trying to push. And that's, again, that's racist yeah. by even their own definition. Yeah. And, at, you know, at that same time, T4G, it came out, I mean, the quote, pastors should be judged by the color of their congregations. Right. I mean, I mean, that's just straight, straight up slander. Uh, and that's a direct quote from that conference in 2018. Pastors should be judged by the color of their congregation. Um, it, you know, so when you just look at some of these very simple things and statements that are made and, and you go back and ask the question, OK, well, you know, what is a right view of sin? Am, am I judged? I mean, are we judged by something as trivial as that? It's almost like saying you should be judged by the majority color of skin in the neighborhood you live in. Um, no God-fearing biblical Christian would be on board with that. And yet um, CRT demands that type of judgment, uh, which is just slander, you know, yeah. In, in anytime you put entire groups of people together and you say you're all X and you need to repent, you are guaranteed to slander somebody, right? Yeah. Um, there are certainly white people guilt, guilty of ethnic prejudice. There are certainly black people who are guilty of ethnic prejudice. Same with Asians and any other ethnic group you can think of, right? Um but the moment you put everyone in a group and say they're all guilty of this because of the colors of the skin, there is no way you can get away without slander. And so in reality, um, just this whole system demands that you live in a sinful posture, right? Yeah, I, it, it teaches a mindset that is unbiblical. It uh, reads in false motives. And it automatically um, excuses people that maybe that shouldn't be excused as well. Yeah, uh, it does. Are, uh, people of color who are part of the bandwagon here, right? That are following this narrative. Now that statement that a pastor should be judged by his congregation, 
Um, I don't know if that was a direct quote, but that was the takeaway, at least from David Platt. I think he's the one that gave that message and, and talked about the congregation and how he had to repent because most of his audience was, was white. Well, here's the thing. The message that we're called to proclaim, and I was recently in a discussion with someone else about this as well. Um, the message we're called to proclaim is the gospel. You proclaim the gospel. You don't alter your methods based upon perceived diversity requirements. Yeah. If there's only one group of people that end up responding to it, then that's God's will. If God brings a diversity of people that responds to it, then that's God's will. You know, I, I come from a Thai background and I grew up in Los Angeles. There are a number of Thai churches in Los Angeles. And I will tell you that just about every one of those Thai churches would not want me in their congregation teaching. And in fact, when I started teaching at Grace Community Church where John MacArthur is, we did a Thai Bible study, me and another individual by the name of Sangwon. Um, we, we started teaching this Thai Bible study with a bunch of Thai people. And we had heard directly from people in the Thai community that there were other people in other churches curious to come to our Bible study, but they were actually advised by their own elders not to come mm -hmm. because, because what I was teaching was wrong, was, was unbiblical. And so that's an example of where here I am. I'm a person of Thai descent and Thai people are actually telling their own people not to listen to me, even though I'm preaching the Bible. Well, a lot of people did come and a lot of people that came, they ended up staying at Grace Community Church. So we praise God for that. But yeah, this, this whole ideology starts to turn people into people groups. And then by the way, this is where identity politics comes from. You know, when we start to yeah. separate people into different groups and start saying that, different people should be treated based upon their background or color. That's where identity politics comes from. And when you listen to that, that famous message from Martin Luther King, that I dream of a day where a man will not be judged by the color of his skin, but by the content of his character, he mm -hmm. was actually pushing for a world that was free of identity politics. And we're actually pushing ourselves towards a world of identity politics because of critical race theory. Yeah. And, and that's an interesting fact, um, you know, for all of the stuff that comes from, uh, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, most of these guys would uphold him as, uh, you know, a figure to to mimic and things like that. And, and yet this ideology teaches exactly this, the, the opposite of many of the statements that he made. And so, yeah, it absolutely is is a big issue. Well, brother, I'm going to throw out another term for you that often comes up and I rarely hear the definition. Uh, and it's a big word, um, epistemology or, you know, standpoint. It, so tell me what on earth is that? It's a big word. Yeah, it is epistemology. And that that is connected to our worldview. So epistemology is basically how we how do we know what is true? You know, how do we discern what is true? And for the Christian, our standard for truth has to start with the scriptures. And I know from the scriptures, I've um, kicked up the hornet's nest on this. You have as well about the six-day creation. We believe in a literal six-day creation. Now, I have some faithful brothers in Christ that don't believe it was a literal six days. I'm not going to, I'm sure. not going to cut them off from fellowship. Right. But basically, we start with the Bible being our gold standard of truth. They're still wrong, the Bible, but we love them. Yeah, we still love them. But when the Bible says that all of mankind is sinful, yep. that is our basis of truth. That's, that's, we get that from the scriptures itself. Now, standpoint epistemology, and we did a podcast episode with the hermeneutics podcast, Nahum mm -hmm. O'Brien. He had us on and, and we talked about this, but standpoint epistemology is basically that truth is not objective, meaning for us, when we go to the scriptures and say the scriptures are, is the truth, we're saying that that is an objective strand, standard of truth. Truth is outside of us. Um, what, how we feel about it makes no difference as to the truth. The truth is the truth, regardless of how we feel. So that is objective truth. Subjective truth 
means that truth is based upon how I feel, which by the way, if you've been paying close attention, critical race theory, critical theory, Marxism really elevates subjective truth because oh, they absolutely. go to the oppressed people and they say, mm -hmm. you find truth by their experiences. Yep. So that is subjective truth. And so this idea of standpoint epistemology is this idea is that truth is relative to your starting point, to where you are ethnically or in terms of the color of your skin or whatever might have you. And so that there have been books that have been written by Christians who talk about how the Bible, the true interpretation of the Bible cannot be fully understood unless you consult different ethnic groups because they're going to come with a different perspective on truth, you know, which is a problem because when you, for instance, go to the black community, they're not all agreed. When you go to the yeah. Asian community, they're not all agreed. Even the white community, they're not all agreed. In fact, there are probably more white people, white theologians, or at least the people that we see on Twitter, there's just as many, if not more, who are behind critical race theory as there are those who are actually opposing it. So a standpoint epistemology, it's basically epistemology is, is how you know what is true. Standpoint epistemology means it is subjective, but we would say it is objective and yep. it is driven from the scriptures. Yeah. And so just remember when that term comes up, um, we talked about earlier about the term Bodhibakam kind of coined ethnic Gnosticism, right? And that's that's where that comes from, this idea that a certain group of individuals, their personal experience must be true uh, and, and not just that, an absolute truth. Um, which there's a great irony in that because it's very inconsistent because it's actually only true if you agree with the narrative that's being put forward, right? So, um, I mean, Daryl Harrison, he's a black brother. But he doesn't agree with CRT. Yeah. He agrees with scripture. And so the movement would say, well, yeah, you're a black man, but but actually your experience doesn't count. Um, right. And so it's, it's not even consistent with its own rules. And so there's so many holes in that, that we find. And, yeah, it, and even, even Vody Bauckham in his book, the way he's being treated now. Yeah. We, we read through that book, Fault Lines, excellent book. I would totally recommend it. I think he is very careful. He is very thorough. He, he does not resort to any kind of slurs against people. Yeah. He, he tries to quote people and, and actually engage with what they're saying rather than read motives into them. I, I think it's a well-written book. But uh, the criticism I've seen against him is not against the content of his book. It's against his character. Yeah, um, I've seen more saying, ad hominem attacks against him uh, than I have any kind of academic. Yeah, and, and a lot of it from white people who, yeah. who are behind the CRT kind of narrative. And, and that's the irony of this. You, you know, we, we say that the black voices should matter. Black lives matter. Black voices should matter. You should listen to black people. Well, that narrative only holds up as long as you hold up the narrative. Yeah. So for Vody Bauckham, um, he shouldn't be listened to. And it's OK for a white brother to slander Vody Bauckham because Vody Bauckham doesn't support the narrative. So you can actually be white, support the narrative and bring accusations against a black who does not support the narrative. So in other words, it's not really about skin color. It's about the narrative. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. You know, if if I were to say something negative about someone with dark skin, I would instantly be labeled racist. However, if I said something negative about someone with black skin who disagreed with that narrative, then I'm upheld as a champion and an ally, right? I mean, just utter hypocrisy in that. Um, and so, I, I mean, again and again, and, and I'd like to reiterate, we're not attacking any individuals, but we do, I mean, we need to attack this ideology 
because it is destructive. It's damning. Um, it, it is a first level issue in that it touches the person and work of Christ, right? Ultimately, if someone were to truly believe and, and, and internalize what the system teaches, um, you, you have to walk away with something other than Christianity. You have to effectively deny the work of the cross. Now, I think most people aren't there. Uh, they've just picked up elements of it, and they, they're trying to do good, like I said, well-meaning folks. Um, but this is deadly destructive. And, yeah, I mean, Vody talks about that in his book as well. Um, you know, he just mentions the fact that you've got churches splitting, you've got family splitting. Um, and, and most, a lot of this, I think, comes from biblical ignorance, right? And, and I, I mean, just again and again, we come back to the importance of being committed to Scripture and just put a check on your emotions, you know, take a step back and say, what does Scripture teach? And whatever it is that it teaches, that's what I'm committed to, because it's the only and ultimate absolute authority. Um, you know, another interesting thing about CRT is truth is always exportable. CRT is not exportable, because what do you do in most places in the world where everyone is the same ethnicity? Yeah. You, you know, there are only a few, I mean, the Western world, but outside of the Western world, there are plenty of places where everyone looks exactly the same. So how does it function there? Well, it doesn't. It doesn't hold up. Um, and yet you have the exact same issues of hatred, right? And partiality. Um, you know, I know Africa better than I know anywhere else. And I'll just tell you, you know, in pick any country in Sub-Saharan Africa or otherwise, where everyone is as dark as the night, just this nice, rich, beautiful, dark skin, and you will find people who hate each other, right, for various different reasons. Um, and obviously, it can't be because of skin color, because they, they all have similar shades of skin color. And so CRT doesn't export anywhere. And the reason it doesn't is because it's not true. It's not an absolute truth. It's built on a falsehood. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, my, my background comes from Thailand. I was born here in America. My parents are from Thailand. I've been to Thailand. I've spent a lot of time in Thailand. And I tell you, if you go to Thailand, most of the most successful businessmen are in Thailand are actually Chinese, not Thai people. And there's a, and why? Because there's a difference in cultures. And I, I, I see it. Chinese people are very, very hardworking. Um, they're not always the most um, ethical, you know, unless uh, they're saved by God and they, they come to, to faith. Um, they, they are taught to work hard, but they are taught to succeed at all costs. And so in, in Thailand, um, most of the business owners and successful people are actually Chinese people because Thai people do not have that same ethic. And so, but if you were to look at them externally, you wouldn't be able to see a huge difference all the time between one versus the other. So, I mean, that's a great point that your theology needs to be exportable. The other point I would make is we've talked about how this is a worldview. The reason why we can't embrace CRT or Marxism or critical theory is because it comes with its own worldview, with its own mm -hmm. epistemology that goes against these scriptures. You see, when the SBC voted Resolution 9, where they accepted um, CRT and intersectionality as a helpful or an analytical tools for tools of analysis or something to that effect. Um, Vody made a great argument that this is not just an analytical tool, this is a worldview. And this is why we reject it. Now, there are people out there that think that there are elements of it that we can keep, 
and while throwing out the rest. So I know a lot of people that would be against what critical race theory teaches. They would be against um, how it has divided churches. They would probably say amen to a lot of what we say, but they would say that there's still something that we can salvage there. And I, in one sense, I understand why people say that because oppression is real. Sure. As long yeah. as sin is yeah. real, oppression is going to be real. Yeah. I have encountered racism from every, every single ethnic group I can think of that I've met, including yeah. my own. And you have too. Yep. So th yep. that is real. And there are people that operate that way. So th that is real. But I would argue that you do not need this human made ideology in order to get that. You can get that directly from the scriptures. Yeah. We say the scriptures are sufficient for a reason. If God has given us everything needed for life and godliness, well, then we don't need man-made wisdom, especially man-made wisdom from people who hate God, who want to redefine terms and even redefine words that they have socially constructed like racism. So to them, racism is no longer just intent, but racism is simply just your skin color and, uh, and, and not doing anything about the systems, the power structures that are in place. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you, you brought up another good point. This, this system, you, it's, it's a package deal. You really cannot separate CRT from its roots, which is Marxism. Um, you cannot separate it from its worldview. And the few things that you could say, all right, I can get on board with this portion. We have those things that are actually true, we have in scripture. Um, and so we don't need that because it, so the sin of partiality. We don't need critical race theory. Uh, we have the Bible who talks what which talks about the sin of partiality, right? Uh, we don't need those things. And so this whole movement quite literally attacks the sufficiency of Scripture. And so, and that was a big problem with the SBC adopting this um, was basically uh, what it communicated, not what they said, but what it communicated is, well, Scripture is not fully sufficient. We need this other thing. And to deal with issues of life and practice in the faith, we do not need another thing. Um, we have the Bible. We say it's sufficient. Scripture itself says it's sufficient, and therefore we believe that. And that's another issue with CRT. And again, I mean, the more you hear um, about what they teach and how it's applied, you know, the more you start to see the holes. And so, you know, the reason we're doing this podcast really is to encourage people to be faithful to the word of God and, you know, heaven forbid um, you hold on to this stuff and, you know, 5, 10, 15 years, you have to look back and although God is gracious and certainly forgives, um, you have to carry the weight of, you know, propagating something that's just utterly against the workings of Christ. Um, and so if we, you know, if, in my mind, the mature Christian is willing to, at least on the face, say, okay, um, I, I'm just going to go with whatever scripture says. Maybe I don't see it yet. Maybe I don't know what it is. And if it if there's a conflict with what this other thing is teaching in the scripture, I'm going to be faithful to scripture. And I see a lot of Christians who aren't doing that, who, who at once seem to at least communicate that they did. Um, and so, you know, we're kind of just saying, take a step back. Um, the church isn't going away. CRT is not going to destroy the church. But it may make life really tough for a lot of genuine Christians. It may lose a lot of relationships. It, it may tear apart a lot of church gatherings, right? That's, that's a reality. It's happening already. Um, but it is something that we can't just allow to have free reign in the church without checking it because 
um, it is sinful. You know, if I had anyone come into the church and say, um, you know, everyone that wears a baseball cap is just absolutely evil, we would have to deal with that, right? Because that's just not something that's okay. And yet we have allowed that very same thing to come in via CRT. Yeah, brother. Yeah, I'm just thinking about a Colossians 2, 8, um, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy mm. and empty deception according yep. to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. And so we, you know, some, a lot of people are accusing people like us saying, oh, you guys think this is the boogeyman and that Christianity is going to fall apart because of CRT. No, we're not saying that at all. God is sovereign. Um, God is sovereign. And when we say sovereign, and let me just revisit that definition. Sovereign means first and foremost, he is the highest in authority. Mm. Yeah. And because he is the highest in authority, it also means he has total control. Okay, there's no point in saying that someone has authority if they have no control. And there's no point in someone having control but saying that they're not an authority. The two go hand in hand. And so we absolutely believe that God will achieve his purpose. He has he ordained the end from the beginning. So he, everything that happens in between is according to God's predetermined plan. We heartily support that. We believe that with all of our hearts. But we are also called to contend for the faith. Yeah. We are called yeah. to take every thought captive. We are called to destroy all these false beliefs that are coming up against the church. And so when we say that God is sovereign, we say that he is the highest in authority and he is in total control. But the fact that he is the highest in authority means we obey him. The fact that he is in total control means we trust him. Yeah. So we don't, we don't do these things because we're worried that God isn't sovereign. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. We do these things because he is sovereign. So we want to be able to educate people and drive things from a biblical worldview, remembering that when the Bereans heard Paul, the Bereans didn't consult man-made wisdom. Yeah. They eagerly examined the scriptures to see if these things are so. And let me add one more thing. We as Christians... We have a hope. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus. In other words, we have a hope in his return. We are not living in heaven. Heaven is to come. A lot of this ideology is pursuing a heaven on earth that will not happen. Yeah. yeah. And so when you think about what is the goal of people who are pushing these ideologies, they're looking for a perfect equality that will never happen. And when they try to achieve that equality, they're going to destroy the society in, in its process. The history has shown us that. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in the true heaven to come. Yeah. And that's not to say uh, that we don't try to fix things right here that, that are broken, that we need to in society and in communities and things like that. But we, but we realize that, I mean, scripture makes it pretty clear you know, this is going to continue until the return of Christ. Um, and, and, you know, brother, there are lots of warnings in Scripture and encouragements uh, to fight for the faith, right? And so we know that. And it's, I mean, here's a good place where we make the point yet again that our fight is not against people, but it's not flesh and blood, as we're told, right? Um, and, I mean, you can go to Jude. The entire book is about contending for the faith. It's all summed up in verse 3 or 4. Um, you know, he says, I basically, you know, Jude says, I was going to write this letter to you about a common salvation, but I felt the need. It was, it was necessary to instead write to you 
to contend for the faith. Uh, and he goes in to talk about people who come into the church and they turn the grace of God into licentiousness. They bring in all kind of, um, you know, teachings. I think it parallels second Peter, I believe, um, where he talks about people coming in and bringing in, you know, heresies and things like that. And this is one of those times where we look at something that's come into the church and we say, no, uh, for the love of God and for the contending of the faith, we need to stand firmly against this. And we can, I have definitely seen guys do it who I thought, man, that that's pretty contentious. Um, and their language, you know, just makes that evident and how they respond. That's not the way we're saying do this, but we certainly do need to guard against these ideologies. You just can't adopt both. You can't have um, that the view that CRT uh, propagates and a biblical worldview. They're just not compatible. And that's what we're saying. Um, and, and we're not attacking people. We all agree that justice is a good thing, right? We all agree that, you know, true ethnic prejudice is a bad thing, right? Racism, it's, it's, it's sinful. Uh, but then I would just say, if you're, you know, like we brought out earlier, um, you, you can't for the sake of supposedly dealing with racism, slander an entire group of people, yeah. right? That's not acceptable for, for God either. Um, and then ultimately this whole system, it, it is a works-based salvation. You have an entire group of people who are not guilty and you have another group of people who um, can only make amends by a perpetual never-ending works. Yeah. And it just reminds me of um, in Second Corinthians where Paul says, if another one comes and preaches a Jesus in whom we haven't preached, you've received a different spirit, which we've not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted. Um, and this really is a different gospel. It's a works-based gospel for the oppressors. And for those who are oppressed, it's a, you don't actually need a savior, yeah. right? And so it robs people of the beauty of Christ on both sides of that. It robs the work um, and salvation of Christ for, for both groups, just in different ways. Yeah, we, we are called to um, speak the truth in love. Um, so that's important for us. We want to contend for the faith, but not in a contentious way, as you mentioned. But just a couple of examples, when we talk about staying faithful to the Bible and how that's going to put you at odds with these false ideologies. Think about the fact that we just saw Jamar Tisby recently announced that he is joining forces with Ibram Kendi. Ibram Kendi yeah. is the one that wrote the book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Ibram Kendi, the one that coined this idea of being anti-racist, he actually speaks against savior, what he calls savior theology. So yeah. he would call himself a Christian, but he actually does not affirm uh, this, this idea that a man came to die for our sins. And so what you see with these false ideologies, when it gets mixed with Christianity, you don't mm -hmm. just see issues in one places. You, you, you see issues in multiple places. Uh, a, a broken theology is rarely broken in just one place. Yeah, yeah. And we also saw that with um, Raphael Warnock. Warnock, the, uh, yeah. The, yeah, the yeah. senator in, in Georgia. He previously, he talked about how he supported um, the Black Liberation Theology, Black mm -hmm. Lives Matter. He was pro-choice, pro-abortion, pro-murder, all those things. And then on Easter day, what did we see? We saw a tweet from him saying that, um, you can save yourself by your own works. Yeah, he actually said yeah. that in a tweet. He had to pull it off because a lot of people, even on his side, were questioning him. But this is to point out the fact that when you start to embrace the tenets of this human wisdom-based ideology, 
you cannot help but to start to um, go against what the Bible itself teaches. There is a tension between that and what scripture teaches. Our message to you, stay faithful to scripture. And to your other point, we are not saying that there aren't opportunities for us to address some of the ills of today, some of the societal ills of today. But our first and foremost call as a church is the Great Commission. It's to go and make disciples, to teach all that Jesus has commanded us. And if that leads to positive effects in society, wonderful. That's the right way to do it. Um, but as we saw from the martyrs, we saw from the apostles that mm -hmm. were martyred for their faith, and we've seen throughout church history, that is yep. not always what happens. That is all in the hands of God. We mm -hmm. trust him for the results, no matter what this world brings to us. Yeah. yeah, good points, brother. I mean, just think about Christ himself. Um, he was the most loving, perfect, kind. Um, I mean, he exhibited all of the fruits of the spirit in their perfection, right? Because he was God here on earth as man, fully God, fully man. And what do you not see? You you don't see the communities embracing him as the greatest community worker. You see yeah. them chanting, crucify him, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and then he goes on, I mean, again, um, fully God, fully man to say, they've hated me, they'll hate you. And so our expectation shouldn't be something different than what we were you know, explicitly told by Christ himself. Um, we don't have to make enemies. They'll hate us because we reflect, you know, we reflect the character of Christ. Um, so I, it's a good point, brother. And so uh, all of this is centered around power, um, you know, political power, money. Uh, it, it just if you if you look at the things that it's centered around shifting, you know, things like, yeah, wealth, it's it's centered around greed. It's centered around, I mean, it breaks so many of just the Ten Commandments. Um, you know, it's centered, it's centered around covetousness. Yeah. It, it literally looks at the neighbor and says, I should have what you have. Yeah. And you're wrong because you have it and I don't. Um, and, and so it's just these things over and over again. And so we, we've got to deal with those issues. Um, any last words before we close this up, brother? Yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. May that be the call for all of us as men in the faith and for women. May you trust in the strong men in your life, the strong pastors you have in your life, and just stay close to the Bible. Yeah, so men, stand up. Don't be afraid to be called names. Don't be afraid to be called racist. Be bold, preach truth, defend the church, defend the faith, contend for the faith, and let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program, serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.